Hi there, and welcome to a special edition of Power Play on this Tuesday evening. I'm Vashi Capellos, and I'm coming to you live from Hamilton, Ontario. In this building, actually, is where federal cabinet ministers have assembled to ponder, figure out what their political and policy objectives are for 2023. Today, the focus was squarely on what it is for so many of you watching tonight, the economy and the prospect for a recession this year. And that's exactly where we're going to start tonight, too, with my first guest, Associate Minister of Finance. Randy Bossano is here live. Thank you very much for joining us, Minister. Good to have you. Uh, when you were walking into this retreat today, this meeting today, you said the fiscal room has tightened. What do you mean by that? So what it means is that we are already seeing a slowdown in the economy, and it means that we're going to have to make some really serious choices about how we invest in Canadians, how we grow the economy, where we actually direct the fiscal room that we have, the money that we have to invest in Budget 23 so that we make smart choices for the future. I also said that because of what we're seeing with inflation still at about 6.3%, three times higher than we want to see it, that we are going to continue to see a slowdown in the economy. So 2023 is going to be a, a turbulent economic year. That means that we're going to face some tough times as Canadians, and that's why our supports for Canadians will continue. We've been through this before, and the economic fundamentals of the economy are good. So post-23, like after 2023, the future is very bright for Canada. We can get into the, the international reasons for that, but the, the bottom line message is we're going to have to make some really clear choices for Canadians in this budget. Okay, so, I want to unpack some of that sure. answer, and I want to ask you in plain language. Does that mean your government will be spending less? Look, it's going to mean that we're going to have to make really smart choices about where we spend. And if we take a look at all the things that we're facing, we've got the war in Ukraine, we've got China opening up its economy, we've got the Inflation Reduction Act in the United States, which is somewhere between 400 and 800 billion that they're investing to attract businesses there. We've got to level that playing field. So we're going to have to make sure that we are making smart investments there. We also have to continue to roll out the supports that we've seen in other budgets to make sure that Canadians can get through this economic storm. But the reason that we're in pre-budget consultation right now is to take the advice of the economists we heard today. We're going to have another analysis, sort of an averaging of all the private sector economists in the country to get a sense of where the fiscal framework is. And then we'll be able, as we lean into Budget 23, to decide exactly how much we should spend. But, but are you saying when you say the fiscal room is tighter that, for example, the, the picture that you and the finance minister painted when the fall economic statement was released was too rosy? And, and I'm positing that against the report out from the Canadian Business Council, co-authored by David Dodge, who's a former Bank of Canada governor, who's saying, yes, it was too rosy. In fact, it was uh, plausible, but too optimistic, and that you're going to need to find another $60 billion to pay for all the stuff you're promising. So to speak in plain language, the last two budget cycles, because the economy was growing, we had more money to be able Coming to invest in, in Canadians. Yeah. Yeah. And, so and now you spent a lot already, of it. We did spend a lot of it. We also put some away in the... The fall economic statement showed that we were continuing our fiscal guardrail, which is the lowering of the debt to GDP ratio and making sure that our spending always stays below 2% of GDP. So like Canadians, we're going to have to make some hard choices in this budget so that we can continue in that framework, but also make smart investments so that the economy can continue to grow. And if you take a look at all that Canada has to offer, like in hydrogen, in artificial intelligence and machine language, with the electric um, battery plants that we're seeing be set up here in Canada. Those are strategic investments from our government to invest in Canadians and in workers. And if there's one group of people in Canada we can count on to get through this next year, it's Canadian workers, the highest educated in the world. And we've seen hard times before as a country. We've got it 
through this before. And we have a plan as a government. The Conservatives don't. And so we're going to continue to work on that. And, and I'll let our, our viewers know that we will speak with the Conservatives sure. and the NDP in, in just a moment. But, sure. but I guess what, what I'm confused about is, like, what is the plan? I understand the investments that you're making for the economy of the future that will hopefully come to fruition in the coming years. But, but that's not to deal with the immediacy of the recession and the impact it has on your bottom line. You said, in plain language, as you indicated, that a, a recession or a contraction of the economy would mean less revenue for the federal government. Based on the, the revenue you thought you were taking in, you already, you already spent 81 billion, uh, sorry, of the 81 billion extra dollars you took in, you already spent 52. Uh, you're promising health care deals. That could be, their premiers are asking for $28 billion a year. Mm -hmm. uh, the RRA countering $300 plus billion in, in subsidies. Like, what are the hard choices that you're going to actually make? You've just described the job. And what we have to do over the next weeks as we're getting into building the, you know, the, the building blocks of the budget is take a look at the trade-offs of those different investments. And the Prime Minister and Minister uh, LeBlanc, Minister Duclos have been clear on, you know, the importance of working with the provinces on health care. We're going to continue to make sure that we support But they haven't been clear Ukraine. on how much money they're willing to spend. No, and I think that's something that we have to make sure we can't say what's going to be in the budget because of budget secrecy, but we are mindful of the fact that we do want to work with premiers on this issue. We also want to continue to support Ukraine. And we also want to make sure, to your point on the Inflation Reduction Act, that we're not letting the United States attract our businesses to the U.S. So there's a whole bunch of smart investments that we're going to have to make. And we're also going to have to make sure that we stay within that fiscal framework of no more than 2% and continuing to bring that, that GDP, debt-to-GDP uh, ratio down. The point that David Dodge makes, though, is if you want to do everything you just laid out and you're looking at depressed revenues, you can't do it all. Well, we're going to study the numbers carefully. We're going to continue to get the information from all the private sector economists. And to my earlier point, we're going to make some hard choices to make sure that we have some fiscal room heading into 24 and 25, because 23 is the year when we can see inflation coming down. And the reason we want inflation to be between 2% and zero is because inflation hurts everybody, and it hurts the most vulnerable the most. And so it makes sense for the country, for us all to work together to get that inflation back under 2%. Your critics on the right are going to say you have to make harder choices now and Canadians will be impacted as a result because you didn't make harder choices in the past. Because you didn't make those tough decisions, you spent everything you took in. So it's not true that we spent everything we took in. We had uh, tens of billions of dollars even in the fall economic statement that we, we put you know, to the, to the bottom I mean, line. With respect though, the Parliament's budget officer said this is not a fiscally prudent uh, uh, budget, uh, fall economic statement. He said if you're spending 52 of $81 billion, that's not fiscally prudent. Well, and that's the, that's the remit of the, of, the, of the parliamentary budget officer to state that. We made choices that we think are going to be in the right, um, in the interest of Canadians. And coming out of the pandemic, if you take a look at what we had to do to get Canadians through the pandemic, which was unprecedented investments, about half a trillion dollars, and that, we could see what it did. It actually got us back on our feet economically. And now, with global inflation where it is, we're going to have to make sure that we watch what's happening in the international stage with all of the uncertainty. I mean, take a look at what we've seen this last year with 400 basis points raised by the Bank of Canada. And still, the economy hasn't slowed to what even the economists we met today thought would. So there's work for us to do as a government to make sure that when Budget 2023 lands, 
that it's the right amount of investment and the right amount of prudence so that we can get through 23 together. And certainly I'm not trying to take away from the supports that were sure. offered during the pandemic. I think there's a, a, a you know a broad consensus that yep. that help was needed. But not everything you ended up spending during the pandemic was as temporary as your government uh, said it was. There was a, a large portion of that that ended up being more permanent long-term spending. And again, I'll go back to the idea now you're telling Canadians we've got some hard choices to make. We can't do it all. You won't be specific on what you can't do. But if you had made some more of those choices earlier on, would you be on better fiscal footing now? Certainly. And that's why in uh, Paul Economic Statement, we showed how we took $3 billion out of our spending and put it back to the ability in this budget 23 to actually do more. So there's more. Should you have been doing more of that? Well, look, I think one of the things we're going to see in 23 is where can we be prudent with the fiscal room that we have? How do we prepare for growth? Because for me, it's not just about reducing spending. It's all about making sure that through 23 and 24, we continue the growth rate. Like right now, at, coming out of 22, we have the highest growth at 3% in the G7. And those kind of economic fundamentals are really going to position Canada for a much brighter future after we get through 23. Okay, Minister, I'm out of time. I'm going to leave it there. Thanks for Thank your you. time. I appreciate it. Thank you very Randy much. Randy Boston is the Associate Minister of Finance. The opposition was listening into that, and they're here to react now, we've got Conservative House Leader Andrew Shear as well as NDP House Leader Peter Julian. Hi, Mr. Shear. Hi, Mr. Julian. Can you hear me okay? I can hear you just fine. Good to be with you. Okay, great. Uh, Mr. <laughs> Shear, I'm going to start with you. Uh, I think you were able to hear the interview with Mr. Boissano. Uh You could hear him say that, uh, yes, look, there is some, and I'm paraphrasing here, th there is the prospect of uh, an economic downturn and a, and a corresponding impact on our revenues. But Canada is well positioned to weather that. He highlighted, for example, the number of jobs added in December. I think it's 104,000 jobs and the relative positioning of growth in the G7. Does he have a point? Uh, well, what he's completely missing is the disastrous impact that liberal spending has had on inflation, driving that inflation up. That's why inflation is well over record highs. It's uh, been over 6% for months now. That's taking a bite out of all the extra income that Canadians are earning. And more spending will just make the problem worse. Everything I heard from the minister was uh, kind of like offering seawater to uh, someone uh, you know, suffering from thirst. You know, Drinking it might look good in the glass, but once you drink it, it actually causes more harm than good. And that's exactly what the Liberals are, are offering. They're also talking out of both sides of their mouth. You know, the, the, the last exchange you had with, uh, with the minister, he's talking about counting on economic growth to keep that uh, debt to G the deficit to GDP ratio. Uh, but in fact, the interest rate hikes that the Bank of Canada is imposing on Canadians is designed exactly to stifle ec economic growth. So uh, Canadians are in, in for a tough 2023 precisely because of liberal mismanagement. Okay, just, just quickly to follow up before I move on to Mr. Julian. First of all, uh, I know that government spending has something to do with inflation, but it's certainly not the sole cause. And I, I think there's wide consensus among economists that a lot of exo uh, exogenous factors like supply chain issues, like the war in Ukraine, greatly contributed to inflation that was not only felt in Canada, but elsewhere. And on the second point about, uh, you know, all the spending that they're going to be doing, what would the Conservatives not spend on? Would you not make a deal on health care, for example? Would you not counter the IRA? Well, look, uh, inflation is a monetary phenomenon. When the Bank of Canada printed $400 billion to underwrite Justin Trudeau's deficits, 
that all that new money washing through the system drove prices up. More dollars chasing fewer goods is the definition of inflation. And there actually is consensus on that. You talk about the war in Ukraine. Canada was already suffering from inflation before the war. Many of the products that have skyrocketed are things that we make here in Canada. We make we, we grow food here. We, we, we produce lumber here. Those are precisely the types of things that have gone up in price because the Bank of Canada has just funneled massive amounts of cash through the economy. When you talk about what Conservatives wouldn't spend money on. Well, we wouldn't spend money on liberal corruption. We just found out in the last few days that uh, a liberal-friendly consulting firm, McKinsey, uh, received over a hundred million dollars over the last few years for 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 work that's very hard to to determine. Uh, we know that about forty percent of the pandemic spending had nothing to do with COVID nineteen. That's from the parliamentary budget officer himself. So there's lots of areas where the liberals were caught trying to reward their friends. We certainly wouldn't have done that. Okay, the consultants that you're talking about is $101 million. The, the deficit's obviously much bigger. I'll come back yeah. to you in well, a second. I, 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 I can run through uh, them if you like. I just know you're always taking time on these panels. <laughs> I appreciate that. <laughs> Miss, uh, Mr. Julian, I'll move over to you because if I heard correctly from Mr. Boissonneau, it doesn't look like, for example, one of the main planks of the agreement that you, uh, you struck with the Liberals, uh, an announcement around Pharmacare, is coming anytime soon. In fact, uh, he was, you know, sending a signal that, there, there would be no massive expenditures. Uh, is that the appropriate way to look at it, given the probable impact a recession would have on government revenues? Well, well, first off, Jagmeet Singh's been been very clear. Putting in place dental care to help Canadians uh, weather weather the recession and having having Canadians as well being res- able to respond to the cost of living issues is absolutely essential. Uh, passing the Pharmacare Act, putting in place uh, the first. Uh, step of uh, what will be an extremely important program that that helps Canadians that are paying as much as a thousand dollars a month for medication that they can't afford and as we know hundreds of Canadians die every year because they can't afford their medication. What what concerns me more is the lack of preparation by this government uh, for a potential recession. We have been stressing for some time now that we need reform for employment insurance. 60% of Canadians who lose their jobs don't have anything to fall back on because of what the Conservatives and the Liberals have done to employment insurance. And at the same time, we need to make sure that Canadians are being supported uh, we have seen, we haven't seen yet from the Liberals an indication that they're actually going to put into place uh, the measures like a windfall tax, excess excess profits tax, the, the measures that would mean that the ultra rich in this country uh, will finally start to pay what they owe to Canadians, and and that allows uh, the fiscal room as well to provide the supports that Canadians right. need at this critical time. Uh, final point I'd like okay. to make is around the privatization of healthcare. Uh, this is something that the Conservatives and the Liberals seem uh, not to want to take action on, and it's many Conservative Premiers that are pushing this privatization agenda. That will cost Canadians both in terms of a uh, lack of quality of services, but also uh, ultimately when you're paying for profit, uh, you, offer, uh, you end up uh, hijacking and sabotaging our public health care system that really needs uh, okay. the support that Canadians that, are looking that's for. That's a whole... Uh, I appreciate the point. That's a whole other panel. I just want to follow up on the first part of your answer. The, the things specifically that you're asking for, the, the implementation of the full three years of dental care, for example, Pharmacare, the parliamentary budget officer pegged that at a cost of $11 billion a year. Do you concede that those things might not be doable at this moment in time if a recession hits and federal revenues are depleted? 
Uh, the, the parliamentary budgetary officer actually indicated that it would save Canadians about $4 billion a year. Having a public phar pharmacare actually helps because we have Canadians paying out of pocket. We have small businesses paying out of pocket. We have the provinces paying out of pocket. So it's essential to put it into place. But the reality is the first step is adopting the legislation that the NDP presented two years ago and that Conservatives and Liberals voted against to actually ensure that it's a, a public pharmacare system that saves all of us money uh, the way other countries like New Zealand have, have found. Uh, ultimately, it reduces the cost of medication to everybody. Okay, I've, I've got to leave it there. I'm out of time. I want to thank both of you for your time tonight. I'm sure this is a subject that we'll be discussing right up until the lead-up to the budget and thereafter. Andrew Scheer uh, for the Conservatives there and Peter Julian for the NDP. We'll also be talking about what you heard from the Minister and those members of the opposition with the front bench a little later this hour. Up tonight, Stephen McNeil, Lisa Raitt, Tom Mulcair, Marika Walsh, and Rob Benzi will be here. We have a lot more coming up this evening live from Hamilton at the Federal Cabinet Retreat. David Dodge, you heard me reference him in my interview with Randy Boissano. He's the former governor of the Bank of Canada. He's got a new report out that says uh, the feds are severely underestimating the prospect of a recession and its impact on their bottom line. He'll join me live next. We still do not know for sure how the plane is going to land. We do not know for sure how the COVID recession is going to finally play out. And we do have the reopening of China as a new international, I won't call it a wild card, but a source of real uncertainty. Could be upside, could be downside, maybe a little bit of both. Federal Finance Minister Christian Freeland there. Uh, welcome back to a special edition of Power Play. I'm Vashi Capellos. I'm live in Hamilton, Ontario tonight. The minister was just speaking to reporters because she's meeting with other federal cabinet ministers in this building here in Hamilton to plot out what policy and politics looks like for the upcoming year. And the minister, along with her colleagues, were squarely focused, she said today, on the economy and the potential for a recession this year. I want to bring in my next guest on that very subject, former Bank of Canada Governor David Dodge. He's now a senior advisor at Bennett Jones and also the co-author of the report assessing uh, the risk of a 2023 recession, Bennett Jones, as well as the uh, Business Council of Canada co-authored that one. Hi, Mr. Dodge. Good to have you with us this evening. Hi, Vassie. Your, your report is certainly a hot topic at this cabinet retreat, and I wanted to ask you right off the bat, uh, do you think the government, especially uh, during their fall economic statement, underestimated the risk of a recession this year? Uh, yeah, the, the particular trajectory they used did not take into account uh, sufficiently, I would say, the risk of, of a recession. That's not to say it will occur, just as the minister just said on that last clip, uh, the world is uncertain, uh, so we don't know, but we have to be prepared, not just for a recession in 23, 24, but we have to be prepared for a, a long struggle uh, to keep inflation uh, down to 2%, uh, which means higher interest rates uh, and potentially slower growth. And when you add all those th things together and... Uh, Add in the fact that the 
numbers, the spending numbers the government has penciled in seem to be uh, too low to actually deliver uh, the services that they promised to Canadians in Budget 22, um, that there's really quite a severe risk uh, that our finances will not be sustainable uh, in the medium and longer term. And I want to get to what that means in layman's terms in a second, but just on the question of what they're promising and if they have the fiscal room to deliver on it. The assessment that, that you offer there is based on what was promised, as you said, in budget 2022. That doesn't include, for example, extra programs like Pharmacare or countering the uh, Inflation Reduction Act in the United States, or even the big announcement, which uh, you know I've, I've learned from some sources, there's likely a date coming tomorrow on the prospect of a meeting between the the premiers and the prime minister on a health care deal that could amount to billion, you know, they're asking for $28 billion a year. That stuff isn't even included in what they've promised to spend back in budget 2022, correct? That's right. No, it, and it so was how not much even... worse off? Yeah. Uh, well, how, sorry, pardon me. How, how much harder is it for them then? Well, if indeed they wanted to deliver real, more real services to Canadians. Uh, what? How do they pay for it? Uh, they can either go borrow the money, or uh, they can raise taxes, or they can stop doing some of the other things they promised. Right? Uh, that's the the difficult job of governing is to make those choices. But what they cannot do, what they cannot do is rely on being able to borrow ever larger amounts of money in order to deliver those services uh, to Canadians, they're going to have to either raise taxes or they're going to have to not deliver on some of the promises they've already made. Uh, and I think the key thing to remember is to actually deliver on a promise requires real resources. and those real resources have to come from somewhere. And in the years ahead, essentially, we think that they are going to have to come from somewhat slower growth in consumption in order to ensure that both the private and the public sector can make the investments that they need to make going forward. And this is a very real challenge. And th this challenge becomes unmanageable if indeed we lose control of our finances and uh, financial markets exact a big risk premium uh, on government borrowing. That's what happened in, in the early 90s. That's what we're trying to avoid. Right. Uh, Mr. Dodge, because I have you here and I just have about a minute left, I did want to ask you, we're all uh, I think a lot of Canadians are, are uh, watching in anticipation of what happens at the Bank of Canada tomorrow uh, in, in whether or not we should be anticipating another rate hike. Do, do you anticipate one and will it, will it, do you think, be the last one for a while? Uh, I, I don't know. Uh, what I would say, though, is that we're probably very close to the top interest rate that they need in this cycle to achieve their goal all of our collective goals of getting inflation back down to 2% in a reasonable time period. What I will say, though, and I think this is really important, is that interest rates after this high cycle right in the, the next uh, uh, 
year or so, uh, those interest rates are going to be considerably higher than they were in the pre-COVID period. And that means governments are going to have to be paying out more in interest payments, much more because we borrowed a lot of money uh, during COVID. Um, and that's going to cut in to government's ability to deliver real programs to you and me, because you and I don't normally think of paying off past debts, paying interest on past debts, uh, is delivering much to us in the way of services. Okay, on that note, I'm going to leave it there. Mr. Dodge, really appreciate your analysis tonight. Thank you. Good night, Vasi. Good night. David Dodge is the former governor of the Bank of Canada. We have a lot more on this subject and this cabinet retreat coming up. As I mentioned a bit earlier, the front bench will join me uh, a bit later on the program. And then next, we're going to get to the list, the political stories you need to know about. Today, we have a lot more coming up live from Hamilton, Ontario, on this special edition of Power Play. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back to a special edition of Power Play on this Tuesday evening. We have a lot more coming up live from Hamilton, Ontario, for the federal cabinet's retreat. But first, I want to get to a whole lot of other political stories happening today. First up, that passport backlog that dominated headlines this summer. Well, it's virtually eliminated. That's according to the minister in charge of the file, Karina Gold, who made that announcement right here from the cabinet retreat in Hamilton. Have a listen. In the past year, we have moved heaven and earth to make sure that this system is working for Canadians. And, you know, I'm here to say today that it is and Canadians can apply with confidence. The minister says processing times for passports, both those applied for in person and by mail, are back to pre-pandemic levels. Canadians, of course, flocked to passport offices earlier this year to plan for international trips after the pandemic dashed most travel plans. Gould said... About 98% of the passport backlog has now been processed. Germany is now reportedly set to send Leopard 2 tanks to Ukraine. According to Der Spiegel, Germany will allow other countries as well to export those tanks. The country has faced international pressure to do just that, with Ukraine pleading for those tanks as key to regaining territory from Russia through a spring counteroffensive. Since the tanks, though, are manufactured in Germany, it was up to Germany to give other countries a green light to send their own tanks. Here in Canada, the feds did not say whether that means they are prepared to send any of this country's 82 Leopard 2s. And the Rogers-Shaw takeover has cleared a major legal hurdle. A federal court has rejected an appeal that attempted to block the deal. The Competition Bureau appealed a decision from the Competition Tribunal, if we can keep that straight, that had allowed the $26 billion deal to go ahead. The purchase still needs approval, though, bottom line, even after all these clearing all these hurdles from the federal industry minister. And that minister's office would only say that his decision will come in, quote, due course. Tomorrow, all eyes will be on the Bank of Canada as it's scheduled to make an interest rate announcement. The central bank has been hiking its key lending rate consecutively since March of 2022. That key lending rate currently sits at 4.25%. Tomorrow's announcement comes as inflation has cooled to 6.3% in December, which of course is still well above the bank's target of 2%. 
And the U.S. Justice Department, as well as eight states, has filed an antitrust lawsuit against Google. U.S. Attorney General Merrick Garland is accusing the tech giant of monopolizing the digital advertising space. Take a listen. Our complaint alleges that Google has violated Section 2 of the Sherman Antitrust Act by monopolizing the market for the technology used by publishers to offer ads on their websites, monopolizing or attempting to monopolize the ad exchange market, and monopolizing the market for the ad network technology that advertisers use to buy digital advertising space. Here's what Google is saying in response through a statement in part. The U.S. government is doubling down, it says, on a flawed argument that would slow innovation, raise advertising fees, and make it harder for thousands of small businesses and publishers to grow. Okay, that does it for the list. Lots more to come live from Hamilton tonight. After a quick break, the front bench is here. We're going to talk about uh, what the focus of today was, the economy and what kind of problems and potential solutions it poses for the feds as they head into 2023. Stay with us. Lots more to come tonight on Power Play. We were very, very focused on taking a fiscally responsible approach. And if you look at Canada's economic performance, at Canada's fiscal picture in 2022 in the international context, we had last year the lowest deficit in the G7. That is Federal Finance Minister Christia Freeland speaking to reporters this afternoon right here in Hamilton. I'm Vashi Capellos. This is a special edition of Power Play. We're in Hamilton because this is where federal cabinet ministers have been meeting and will be meeting over the next day uh, to plot out their strategic objectives heading into this year. The focus, though, as you heard from those comments and the questions largely directed at the minister, is all about the economy and really the prospect for a recession and what it means for the choices the federal government will have to make going forward on that question and the debate and discussion around it. I want to bring in our front bench panel tonight. Joining me this evening, former Nova Scotia Premier Stephen McNeil. He's now a strategic business advisor for the law firm Cox and Palmer in Halifax. Former Deputy Conservative Leader Lisa Raitt is here as well. She's the Vice Chair and Managing Director of Global Investment Banking at CIBC. CTV News political analyst and former NDP leader Tom Mulcair is with us, as is Toronto Star's Queen's Park Bureau Chief Robert Benzie. And the Global Mail's senior political reporter Marika Walsh is next to me at the, uh, at the cabinet retreat as well. Hi, everybody. Really good to see you. Marika, I'm just going to start with you really quickly because uh, you've been covering the retreat for the whole week so far. Definitely the economy today in light of that report from David Dodge, which said things are not so rosy and that's going to impact the room you have to, to deliver on the promises you've made. Yeah, and I think some mixed messages today, Vashi, on what that actually means for what the government's thinking about. They're both trying to make the argument that they are being fiscally responsible, that they are keeping in mind all these pressures from the economy. But at the same time, they made a pretty strong case today from Deputy Prime Minister Christian Freeland that it was the time to spend big on healthcare, to spend big on the green transition. And so that means tens of billions more added to the budget in the spring. And it's not yet clear how that balances out or how that fits into fiscally responsible budget, as they're saying. Uh, Stephen, let me ask you, let me start kind of wind it back to the basics. Do you agree with the assessment that a, a potential recession or a more severe recession than anticipated 
would put additional pressure on cabinet, on the federal government, because it will uh, decrease their revenue, plain and simple. Do you think that it will be the case? Well, certainly it'll impact uh, not only the, the cabinet, it'll impact Canadians. Uh, I think the last time we were on, we For were sure. talking about the fact that this was heading. We certainly know that the first half of next year will feel like that. Uh, coming out of it, what do we do? I think the Canadians have, Canadians have made it clear they want the federal government and the provinces to invest in health care, strategically making those investments to improve access to primary care and delivering those services. The question will be, uh, what does the government do to try to stimulate the economy? And I think there are other ways to do that. Uh, Marika mentioned about the green economy. One of the ways that they could do is streamline the process to try to get many of those precious minerals out of the ground in Canada. Uh, they create jobs, uh, generate private sector to make investments. Uh, those are the types of things that I think will help uh, stimulate and try to bring uh, the economy forward, uh, reduce inflation at the same time, uh, help the bottom line of the federal government. What kind of, I guess, though, uh, Lisa, political quagmire is it for the government when you're saying, on, you know, you do want to be more fiscally responsible? That's the that's the way that they're characterizing it. I know, obviously, not everyone agrees with that assessment, but you say that. But you also want to make good on a health care deal, which Stephen, as Stephen points out, and our panel did, like Canadians are anxious for. You also want to try and counter the IRA. You also want to try and develop. Like, how do, do you essentially face all that and make, quote unquote, hard choices at the same time? Yeah, so governing is hard, and I always find it interesting when I find myself in violent agreement with Stephen McNeil, but nonetheless, that's not <laughs> I think I think that the danger, Vashi, is one having to do with how this government communicates this issue. You laid out all of the facts very, very well. This is not an easy road for this government to travel. However, you got to be really careful. You can't tell people that they're okay, they're not as bad off as they think they are, because they're not going to be feeling that. They're going to be feeling something quite different in terms of either inflation or in terms of a recession, people losing jobs, their kids not having careers. I mean, this stuff is getting is getting really scary, and it's coming home. And you need to be able to say as a government, not only you know, the notion that I've got your back, but you've you got to be able to say to them, look, here's the plan. This is what we're doing. These are the reasons why we're doing it. And then you have to execute on it. Um, and they've got to really be able to walk that line of empathy. Um, be proud of what you've done. But don't lean heavy on jargon and don't lean heavy on, uh, you know, some kinds of metrics that may or may not be meaningful to the average person. And, Tom, I mean, from a political perspective, I think that's a really important point that, that both Lisa and Stephen are making, like the way in which you talk about how you're going to handle this, you are going to also get it on either side, right? They've got the NDP coming at them at one end and the Conservatives at the other, and both of them are very focused on the impact of a recession or the impact of inflation right now or the impact of, uh, of interest rates consecutively uh, being hiked. So how do you navigate that politically? Great point, Bashi, because both on the left and the right, people are saying the last thing we need is another increase in interest rates, and we're all expecting one tomorrow. So we'll see how that one plays out. With regard to the use of the media and the use of their time in Hamilton, I think the Liberals have been doing an amazing job. I think that Trudeau has shown that he's got an ability to read the room. For him to be backing Doug Ford's openness to more private delivery, you'd still use your Medicare card, but more private delivery, shows that there's been a change in Canadian politics. He's not sticking with an ideology that's been there for decades. They've also been trying their best to roll out ministers who have had the biggest problems. So Karina Gould and passports and Minister Fraser and immigration. I mean, 
the jello was starting to firm up quite a bit in public perception. It's like, these guys, they've got good stuff, they talk well, but they're not actually good at managing the government. And I think that that perception is going to be very tough. So those are the twin things. They've got to show empathy and understanding for the average Canadian family that's going to get hit with these increased in interest rates because Canadians live on their credit cards very often. And they've also got to show that they're finally getting a handle on managing the government. I think the second one is going to be equally tough. Yeah, Rob, your thoughts on, on how they, they navigate that? Yeah, Tom makes a very good point. I mean, the, 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 the Prime Minister is seeing that he's going to have to work with the Premiers on this health care deal, as Stephen McNeil was talking about earlier. He's going to have to uh, keep the, uh, the NDP at bay, so that means delivering on some of the things that, that keep the confidence and supply agreement in motion. And at the same time, he's got this... this the global uncertainty with, the, with, with war in, in Ukraine, uh, the Russian invasion of Ukraine, and uh, uh, commodity prices are, are up and down. I mean, there's a lot of things that are beyond his control, but the things that are within his control, I think Tom's right. I think the prime minister is trying to put as sunny a face on things as he possibly can. Because remember, Vashi, this is not a government that was built for austerity or restraint. These, this is a government that it likes to send people checks and likes to uh, start new social programs and likes to and likes big government is was elected on big government. I think they know that's who their voter uh, their voters are. But can they do that in, a, in an environment of austerity? I'm not sure. That's what's so interesting. I think the politics of that, even just listening to the minister today, I was like, what? What's that? What government am I listening to right now? Anyway, we're going to talk about that with the front bench in just a moment. I've got to take a quick break on this special edition of Power Play. But we're back in just two minutes. The front bench will be with me. Stay right there. Welcome back to Power Play on this Tuesday evening. I'm Vashi Capellos, and I'm live in Hamilton, Ontario tonight. That's because in that hallway behind me and above me, cabinet ministers are meeting throughout the day and into tomorrow. Today, their focus is very much on the economy, but they'll be plotting out other policy and political objectives for the year to come. We've got the front bench with us tonight to talk about what those objectives should look like. Stephen McNeil, Lisa Ray, Tom Mulcair, Rob Benzie, and Marika Walsh are here. Lisa, I... I wanted to start with you and uh, hopefully for this segment, you know, uh, talk a little bit aside from partisanship about if you were asked your advice on like, you know, look, what should our primary objective be going into this year? What would your response to that be? So I'm going to lean on the side of thinking about future economic development and really encourage this government to get a handle on how to help facilitate projects going farther, faster, quicker with all the correct approvals and with all of the right consultation, but just really streamlining and getting it going. I, I, I give the example of passports. So it was wonderful today that the minister came out and said, look, we've got this fixed. We can now do this and we're going to be good at doing this in the future. I, I'd like to see them take that proactive approach when it comes to projects that are going to be needed in order to be ready for a, a decarbonized world and an economy that we really should be playing front and center on. Tom, your thoughts on, uh, first I'll ask you, like, if they sat down and said, hey, Tom, tell us what our number one objective this year has to be, what would you say? And then if you were to identify their greatest vulnerability, what would it be? I think that they have to complete the deal with the NDP on Pharmacare. And there's an advantage to bringing in social programs. They're a little bit harder to get rid of if, the, if and when 
because that is the history of Canadian politics, if and when the government changes. So you build in those programs. They've already done a very good job of bringing in affordable child care across the country. They did a very good job on bringing that in, and that was something that we had pushed for a lot when I was the head of the NDP. And I think that it's something that's admirable because we understand that it's actually good for the economy to make sure that that sort of service is there. So we're talking about families that are having trouble getting by, well, make sure that they, they're able to at least avoid the massive expenses of sudden increases in their cost for medication. That's part of fixing medical care, Medicare in this country. I think that that's something they have to be careful of. The biggest danger, I think, is the increased debt uh, long-term for future generations. I've always believed that governments should not take in more than what they need and should not spend more than what they take in. It's a position. Uh, and I, I do think that Mr. Trudeau, in his first few years, overspent by about $100 billion. And Of course, the pandemic came along and $100 billion became chump change. And we're well over a trillion dollars now in total debt. So despite the fact that Christy Freeland will try to smooth out those numbers and sh you know, show that Canada is doing better than others, we still have a lot of debt on our backs. And we're one of the mo most indebted per capita. And Canadian families are... the probably the most indebted of the G7 per capita. People don't have more than two weeks pay in the bank, Bashi. And I think we've got to be careful as a society to start changing that and to show better examples at the federal level. Isn't that emblematic, though, Stephen, of the kind of challenge that the feds face? Because if they do, uh, for example, placate, for lack of a better term, the NDP and commit to something like Pharmacare, which is in that agreement, Yes, it saves Canadians over the long term, but it comes with an upfront cost. I think the PBO pegged it at about $11 billion a year. How do they juggle that with the, the sort of vulnerability that Tom points out on the fiscal side of things? Well, uh, I think the pharma care program, which has been talked about, a national pharma care program, would fit into this conversation that the federal government is having with the premiers about <clears throat> what does health care look like, right. the delivery model look like for the next uh, 50 years. The challenge that's being faced right now we're in high interest rates, high inflation. Uh, we've seen the Bank of Canada raise uh, the interest rates, hoping to slow down uh, spending. Uh, but at the same time, we've seen a lot of uh, money going into the economy by the government. Uh, what we need to do, or I think what should happen over the next number of months, uh, is looking at how, when that money's coming into the economy, how are we targeting it to drive, to force private sector to invest their money? There's, it's always been my belief that jobs are created by the private sector, not government. Government can do great public policy. I spoke in my earlier comment about how do we make sure that permitting to get these re resources out of the ground that we're going to need for this new economy there. How do we create an environment where we get uh, businesses to invest capital back into their operations, hire more people? Uh, those can be strategic public policy pieces without writing a massive amount of check targeted towards growth, which in, this, which in turn puts more money back in the pockets of the federal government to invest uh, in the programs that we need. Uh, to me, it's looking at this differently because if we continue to put money in, not targeted, we're going to end up continuing with this inflationary challenge uh, because we're competing really against the Bank of Canada. Uh, with On one hand, they want us to slow down. On the other hand, we put in a lot of money out there that's being spent in the economy without a focus on job creation uh, and really also forcing the private sector to put their own money on the table, be a partner with the government of Canada, be a partner with communities uh, to make sure that when they're spending their money, uh, we're seeing real growth from it and the fact that they have, um, for the lack of a better term, dollars on the table uh, to help generate that it's not all public money. It's interesting, Rob, because as Stephen was talking, I was reminded of uh, an interview I did a few weeks ago with former finance minister Bill Morneau, who said, 
a lot of the same things, but actually identified it as a real vulnerability. Even the even the you know desire or purpose of a partnership with the private sector, he said, was a vulnerability for the federal government because they were not, though they spoke of growth often, focused on it necessarily from a policy perspective. They're more worried about how things land with the public. Do you think that's a fair assessment? No, I think it is a fair assessment, Vashi. And I have to tell you, uh, this Bill Morneau fellow that I've been reading about since he left politics, he'd be fantastic as finance minister. Uh, he sure isn't. Wasn't, <laughs> what he wrote about in his book and what he did. Well, mixed record, to maybe things. to be fair, yeah. <laughs> but no, but I mean, I, I mean, if he had if he had done what he now says should be done, uh, we might be in better shape. I'm not sure. I I, I think though that um, it, 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 they have a very a very tricky problem. They they don't want to be doctor no. Uh, to any to any province to any stakeholder group, so this is going to be uh, a really thankless uh, task ahead of them. But I, I I would I would be a little more crass, Fashi, about what their priority is this year, and their priority this year is staying in government, and they will do what it takes mm-hmm. to stay in government, and that means appeasing the NDP on the confidence and supply agreement. If that means pharmacare, which it could be a net gain for for our, for our country in terms of affordability, in terms of uh, of helping families here in Ontario, we have a, a sort of a, a, a half-baked uh, 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 pharma plan called OHIP Plus that, that helps uh, people who don't have benefits. Uh, not everyone, but it helps a, a big chunk of folks. And that's something, a program they could look at. Maybe these programs will be means-tested. Who knows? I just think that, they, that there are some ways for them forward. But again, I think that their main priority right. is going to be staying in power. That's it. Marika, about 30 seconds left. Do you, do you agree? I wish I could have, as, as you said, that's their priority. I wish I could have showed the reaction of everyone really ranged for the for the three former politicians on our panel. Yeah. I, I actually, I do think um, Benzi is right. I think what's interesting so far in the first two days of this cabinet retreat, we haven't seen as many digs at Pierre Polyev as we've seen in the last few weeks. But certainly that is what they are aware of. It's not just the economic context that they're talking about substantively today. It's also the political context. And right now they see the polling, even though they say they don't pay attention to it. And they know they have to change some of their around. And, and so as Benzi said, how do you do that? You, you spend money in serve many different populations. Well, we shall see. Hopefully they're listening to some of the great advice from the former politicians on our panel tonight. Thanks, everyone. Thanks to our front bench. Uh, Stephen McNeil, Lisa Ray, Tom Mulcair, Rob Benzi, and Marika Walsh. Before we leave tonight, I want to get to today's takeaway, and that is, of course, focused on tomorrow's announcement from the Bank of Canada. Former Bank of Canada Governor David Dodge had this to say about a potential rate hike. We're probably very close to the top interest rate that they need in this cycle to achieve their goal, all of our collective goals, of getting inflation back down to 2% in a reasonable time period. Former Bank of Canada Governor David Dodge saying this is probably nearing the end, hopefully the end of those rate hikes, because the interest rate will be at that higher end now for a while. The caveat there, of course, from Mr. Dodge is that don't expect interest rates to head back to where they were anytime soon pre-pandemic or during the pandemic when they actually hit zero, for example. So get used to something along these lines. But perhaps, fingers crossed, tomorrow will be the final and eighth consecutive rate hike. We'll have our eyes on what the Bank of Canada does. For now, though, that does it. I'm Vashi Capellos in Hamilton, Ontario. I hand things over to my colleague, Akshay Tandon.